You are now tuned in to the True Say Podcast, unpacking age-old questions and concepts we reflexively ignore. In this podcast, we're going to revisit topics to help make the critical connections you may have overlooked. Think Quentin Tarantino meets 60 Minutes, where we start at the end and finish at the beginning. Except, in this podcast, we only need 43. I am your host, True Say. Join me as I provide you with a modern perspective. Let's get started. Actually, before we unpack today's topic, I wanted to take a quick moment to thank my sponsors at Bean Bundle, Canada's newest coffee subscription. It's been great. Ever since I stumbled on this service, I've been able to put my mocha pot to good use with beans they sent me from legitimate roasters across the country. Bean Bundle makes it so easy for people like me who are trying to find their particular roast but don't know where to start. The process is super quick. Just visit beanbundle.com, choose the amount of coffee you want on a monthly basis, medium roast, dark roast, whatever your flavor, and they ship you different beans from their latest roster of roasters on a monthly basis. Best part about being from the sixth side is if you live in Canada, they ship to you absolutely free. And if you sign up using code TRUESAY25, you'll save 25% off your subscription. Now, if you've been rocking with the True Save podcast, listen for your cue to get your hot brew provided by Bean Bundle ready, and let's get into it. Okay, okay, now, welcome. Wait, you know, how dare I just jump into the podcast and not even say welcome or what's up? Like, how rude. I apologize, True Saters. Like, I mean, listen, it's your boy, True Save back at it again with another podcast, and I really got to come up with a, tra- with a catchphrase. I can't keep on saying back at it again, but Okay. I digress. Thank you for tuning in to the 15th edition of the True Say Podcast. Um, You know, like I told you last week, I'm going to be here same time, same place every week. Thank you for joining me. Uh, You know, it's interesting because I'm already at the 15th edition and it's like, I don't know, I, I, I feel like I'm getting better and better as I go along. Have you been telling your friends, your aunties, your uncles, your nephews and nieces about this particular podcast? Because if you haven't, I think it's literally your duty, whatever country you live in, to share the True Say podcast with all and everyone you know. So if you haven't, this is a PSA to you as a citizen of your country. Please do your part to share the True Say podcast, especially this edition. And how fitting of a PSA when the topic of this edition is, you know, how do you love a country? Remember, in my, in my promo or in my intro, I talk about making critical, connect, critical connections, right? Um, picking up on themes or questions or topics that we don't typically review or, or dissect. And funny, I think it's so fitting. I have been trying my best to stay away from these like political or um, potentially loaded questions or topics or trying to unpack them. But... Just with the way the world is going, I just had no choice but to focus on, you know, how do you love a country? And in all true safe fashion or in the true safe fashion, we're going to start at the end and finish at the beginning, the end being the modern day, and really look at what's happening. Now, let me provide a bit of a parameter around why I'm talking about how do you love a country? You hear so many countries, and let's pick America, for example, that you know inherent in their 
what would you call them? Not their loyalty, but when they pledge their allegiance, when they they whisper the, the typical, I want to say, national phrases or speak about their country on in public forums. Almost every time you hear a political leader, an American political leader, finish off some type of declaration, they always, or I shouldn't say declaration, some kind of oration to a crowd, they always declare, love thy neighbor, right? Along with, you know, God bless America. There's always this type of a reminder that America is built on this idea or this platitude that every American citizen is treated like they're equal. They're all neighbors. They're all a part of one community, one people, right? And and without defining community, there's like, you know, this similar interest. There's uh, a generalizable quality that they all share, which is kind of inherent, right? We're all human beings. We should all be treated fairly. We should all have equal and and fair access and opportunity, etc. And America kind of perpetuates this model. And then by doing so, they're always perpetuating this idea that they have everything figured out, right? Their society is operating in lockstep with one with all communities. All the people, all Americans are looking out for one another, right? And that's kind of this whole ideal they always perpetuate, you know, they perpetuate that we're the most powerful nation, we're the smartest nation, we're the greatest nation, we've we've done great things, we've made great advancements, we're the most civilized. There's always this kind of hierarchy perpetuated by this country. And the more you hear about how this country takes care of their own, how they vilify and oppress people within their own nation, within their own land, just reinforces how much they act in complete, um, I don't want to say oxymoronic, but they act in complete antagonistic to the idea, or the complete opposite, I should just simply say, to this idea of loving thy neighbor. You know, it's it's just not true. And then I'm hoping we can even touch a little bit on other socio-political matters that don't just stay in America, obviously. We can think about the farmers in India who... Once again, a, a vast majority of the population in India, many of the economy is generated through farming. A large swath of the population are farmers. And now the government is trying to deregulate the farming industry, which only means that big corporate conglomerates will come in now and basically take over all the land, do all the farming themselves, uh, hire native you know, people who are indigenous to India and at cheap cheap salaries and take all these profits and essentially killing the working industry by by allowing them to no longer have control of a economic machine that should be in their control. I mean and and we'll get into that. We can talk about even in Canada when you think about the idea of you know this pandemic has really struck our small businesses the most. I mean, in Canada in particular, with all the shutdowns and lockdowns, and it's, I'm interested in focusing on Ontario, there's been a great impact, a significant impact held by small local businesses. They've all shuttered. People's lives have been ruined. We're not even talking about the fact that many people have died. There's going to be a mental health burden on a great pop- portion of the population. There are going to be ramifications that you know permeate throughout the next decades, likely, due to this pandemic. But some of the immediate visible impacts that we can see 
are hitting many of the people you thought the government and the countries themselves would be looking after, but they just don't seem to be. Um, we're not even talking about the mental health of children, the mental health of child um, child caregivers, mental health of frontline healthcare workers. There's the incidence of disease. There's high priority communities. The list goes on. And the more and more I've been thinking about this idea of, you know, being, uh, you know, patriotic, being uh, not a, a global citizen, but really thinking highly about your country and how much your country means to you. I was like, how do you love a country? Honestly, which country out there is worth loving? Now, when you think about it in a human to human relationship, right, or uh, a, a more quote unquote traditional relationship, you know, you're supposed to love someone for their imperfections, right? Nobody's perfect. And obviously, I th- I'm hoping you, un- you all realize that that goes without saying there's no perfect country, right? There's no perfect place to live. There's no such thing as a perfect life in my eyes. There's great lives. There's fantastic lives. There's fantastic countries. There are great countries, good countries, bad countries. There's no perfect country. But I guess when you think about, you know, they always say you should love someone for their flaws. How do you love a country for its flaws? Honestly, for the vast majority of people, and sticking with modern day, for the vast majority of people who are living in this modern day society, whether it's east, west, south, north, whatever continent you're on, whatever country you're living in, there is going to be those who are living great lives in a upper echelon of society for whatever reason, could be due to financial stability or just you know income, brass tax, could be due to uh, religious allegiance or, or religious uh, perspective. It could be due to color, race, creed, ethnicity, etc. But funny enough, all countries, generally speaking, are the most patriotic and talk and highly tout how great they are. These same countries, when they you know go to war, are expecting you as their citizens to go and stand up and serve for your country, protect thy neighbor. These are the same countries when they're going on global platforms like the Olympics or national stages to do competitions to show how great their citizens are at sport or competition or whatever the case may be. Expect and depend on you to go and actually exemplify, physically manifest your love through your performance, right? Um, And and I mean, it, it continues when it comes to actually being a contributing member of that country society. You are doing your service as a citizen to go and contribute to the actual maintenance, running, overall general positive um, impact of this, the country is dependent on its citizens working collectively to do so. You're a part of a coalition. You know, you're a part of a nation that is supporting and representing a country at all times. And... From a, from a very young age, we're taught to love our country, regardless of how we're treated or how we sit and fit in that country. We're at one point in time, you could be the breadwinner, like the Indian farmer um, example I just brought up, where you stimulate a good portion of the economy, where if you all decided one day to quit and no longer do what you needed to do, your country would feel the ramifications of that very, very much so. They would be devastated. But at the drop of a hat, a new government or a new regime can come in and just change and flip things on its head to show you that we don't need you. 
we don't care about you in this moment. Something else is of a greater importance to us. But all you've done for all this time is shown this country how much you love and respect and care for it. Now, don't get me wrong. There are outliers, of course. There are people who exploit. There are people who deceive. And obviously, we have justice systems and we have repercussions and there's, there's consequences for displaying negative behavior or going against the grain, obviously. But focusing in on the idea that so many of these countries, a lot of the time, always perpetuate this idea that they're looking out for you, that, you know, we are the best. We want to make sure that we look good to the outside world. But on the inside, we could care less about 80% of you. The only people we're looking out for are the ones who are padding the lining of our pockets, who are fleshing out our wallet books or, or signing checks. The vast majority of you, we could care less about. Now, that could be a representation of the political officials who are standing in office and are essentially creating these legislations, creating these policies that we need to abide by. And that makes sense. Some of them are corrupt. Some of them are good. Some of them are well-intentioned. Some of them aren't. But at the end of the day, we all grew up in the same system about loving thy country. So the question really becomes, who should love the country, right? Love your country. Why should you love your country? And... Myself, you know, I'm, you're watching the news. You're seeing things like the volcanic eruption in um, the islands in the Caribbean by the St. Vincent Islands. And you're, you're seeing people's lives be ruined. And then you're, I understand that they don't want to have international aid come in or foreign aid come in until they've been vaccinated because of the whole situation with Haiti whereby the country was devastated by the earthquakes and a lot of foreign aid came in and they brought in a bunch of infectious disease. So, you know, you want to avoid that similar situation where you're exacerbating all this need and exacerbating these issues by virtue of not only do you have to worry about the consequences of the volcano, but you need to worry about infectious disease or communicable diseases on top of having to fix and speak to respond to one um, natural disaster. You now have a public health emergency to respond to. So I get the idea of how they want to control who's coming in and who's coming out, especially during a pandemic. But if anything, this pandemic has shown you how much countries really value the ones they tell you, the ones they tell to love their country. So many provinces and so many states and so many countries are doing a disservice to the people who reside in their countries. Right. And this is not a knock or a political stand for you to go and uprise. It's just like a, am just drawing attention to the idea that there's so much we're told to do as citizens, so much rule abiding we're supposed to do, so much effort and productivity and purpose we're supposed to go and carry ourselves with throughout our days. But a lot of the time, it's all for not. It, not all for not. I shouldn't say that, but it's not matched. You know, there's a moment where, and this is speaking to the, the most recent tragedy that happened in the United States, where the young man who had the air freshener's rearview mirror was gunned down by a police officer. The same, the very same people who were told to serve and protect him decided to um, arraign and, uh, and, and murder him, right? And I'm led to believe that, you know, the same American police officer was told, love thy neighbor. They're the same person that sang their national anthem every day in school. They're the same person who 
was a representative of the, the country's government, a representative of the whole country's law and bylaw, and decided in a moment to go against it. And then when there are people who react and respond to these types of tragedies and are hurt and are damaged and are traumatized and begin to react in ways that are not necessarily good nor bad, they're vilified. The same country that tells you, you know, you should feel safe here. And obviously there are sour apples, but we'll do our best to pick them out and weed them out. We got you. These are the same countries that turn a blind eye. And you have, and you know, in history just shows you this repetition of all these things that just go on to repeat themselves. And it's so flipping mind-boggling. How often are we told that, you know, don't leave, don't immigrate, stay. You know, why would you want to leave? You have your house here, you have your kids here, your family's here. This country's great. Think about all the blessings. Think about all the all the privileges you have by by living here, especially when you're in the Western world. You're giving all this reality about how great it is to be living in North America, living in Europe, living in um, Canada, you know, about how fantastic it is to be in these situations. But when you, when you think about it, when you break it down and look at all the evidence, it's so challenging sometimes. There's so many instances, so much evidence that you know, there's not this country, although you're thought to love it, although you're told there's so much benefits to being here, there's so much to it that's just not the case. And it's funny, I had a vivid, I shouldn't say a vivid, but what really stimulated this whole thought process and this whole topic, I was perusing, I think the New Yorker, or I saw a, a tagline pop up and I was introduced to a, a gentleman by the name of Richard Blanco, who is uh, the first Latin gay um, native, I shouldn't say native, first Latin born, Latin American born um, gay man to read a poem at the inauguration of a American president. So this is back in 2013. So this, this gentleman was born of an immigrant from Cuba who came to uh, America, and long story short, he was one. Of the, he was a f youngest and one of the and the first um, gay identifying ma a man to go about um, leading the uh, reciting a poem on the inauguration, and then in his poem, I pull out like certain segments of it that stood out to me. You know, the poem itself is called "One Today," right? And at face value, it's, it's a great poem, right? And then I, I just want to read like certain sections of it to like really reinforce how interesting you have once again, somebody reinforcing you with this idea, you got to love your country because there's so much it does for you, right? So let me get into the couple segments. So it says, there's one segment where he goes, all of us as vital as the one light we move through, the same light on blackboards with lessons for the day, Equations to solve, history to question, or atoms imagined, the I have a dream, we keep dreaming, or the impossible vocabulary of sorrow that won't explain the empty deaths of 20 children marked absent today and forever. Many prayers, but one light breathing color into stained glass windows, life into the faces of bronze statues, warmth onto the, onto the steps of our museums and park benches as mothers watch children slide into the day. 
So this is like there's this collective history he's showing and speaking through these words, right? He's speaking broad sweep so that everyone of the American descent or everyone who's living in the country can can feel connected because so many of them understand the history of the I Have a Dream speech. So many of them understand the idea of blackboards and going to parks, etc. And then, you know, he goes on to say this whole idea of one ground, our ground, rooting us to every stalk of corn, every head of wheat sown by sweat and hands, hands gleaning coal or planting windmills in deserts and hilltops that keep us warm, hands digging trenches, riding pipes and cables, hands as worn as my father's cutting sugarcane so my brother and I could have books and shoes. So he's speaking to once again this idea of working hard in America. When you do for you, America will do back. Right. And I think this reinforces kind of transitioning into the beginning, you know, where we finish on all the Truth Aid podcasts, this whole idea of this God bless America. Right. This lofty monument of patriotism as, you know, the United States kind of as reinforced. And the reason why they're saying God bless America, because this country is so great. But evidence will show you it's not great for all. Right. In 1961, you know, rest in peace, but JFK, rest in peace, stated, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Right. And the reason he said that was all about this idea of of um, more or less just speaking to the idea that we all need to do uh, serve a public good. Right. You need to contribute in some way to the public good. We all have a, re- a responsibility to do so. And this whole idea grew in popularity as the United States was able to escape or climb out of depression and then, you know, lurched into war. Right. So you get out of depression, you lurch into war that stimulates the economy. And there's all this patriotism like, you know, do for your country. Your country loves you. Show your love and support for your country by going to war for it. And I know I can't speak on American history too closely because I'm not an American, but I feel like it's a great vivid example of how much these countries are reinforcing this idea. We all have this unique commonality. We all have this shared history. We all understand that we live in the best country in the world where this country loves you by providing you with all these freedoms, all these privileges, all these great experiences. But we know the system is not built to give everyone the same opportunities, the same access, the same treatment. But yet they expect everyone, regardless of your place in life, regardless of where you stand and how much the country is actually benefiting your day to day, there is this expectation that you need to love your country. And I just don't think that's a fair. It's just not fair because it's so many of us that actually go through day to day lives, try and interact with the communities and try and interact with the society the way we're told to do. But at the end of the day, it's only catering to a certain few. Like, for instance, once again, come in localizing this conversation for me, me personally, in Canada, there are a number of lockdowns happening where our premiers or our mayors are telling our cities they need to shut down with some caveats, right? So if you open and operate a big box store like a Walmart, an Ikea, a Costco or a, uh, I don't know, a Target, let's say, you're able to run and open and have 
civilians and customers come in all with you know certain limitations like there's capacity limits etc and you're supposed to follow social distancing rules and all that's fine and dandy but if you run a two-person salon where you see one customer per hour you're not allowed to operate your business and if we dive into the whole public health significance of it all you, you the thought is we can control and monitor a big box store easier than we can control how many people are coming into and out of all the small businesses that are lining up on the streets. So, you know, you're trying to make this broad sweeping policy change. And of course, you can't please everybody. But for a country, you think that would be more inclined to protect the individuals who are contributing to their economy that are, you know, of the land, so to speak, without getting into indigeneity, etc., who are of the land and work here and are contributing to the economy and are actively running a business that isn't having any funds go, you know, in, in if we're speaking pragmatically, likely aren't going international. It's all the money staying in. It would make more sense for them to support the operation and running of those companies, no? But no, what you're seeing is big box companies that usually don't even, aren't even headquartered in the provinces or in Canada are being allowed to stay open, Walmart being a big one of them. And it's, it's, it's just interesting. If this country loves me, right, and I'm, I'm led to believe that I should think about what I can do for my country and how best can I be a, a member and good contributing member of society, why is it doing everything in their power to help shut me down? Right? Why weren't there more measures in place or more thinking in place to help me survive throughout this pandemic? Why are the rich who already have access and privilege and support and contingencies and safety nets galore, why are they being able to survive? Why isn't there being more of an impediment to their survival as opposed to mine? And I think about it all the time. Sometimes you wonder like, who, who is, who's responsible for this idea, right? It makes complete sense when you think about it from a, a control idea. We can't have infighting. We can't have insubordination, right? Who wants to have coups and, and militia groups in your own country? That You can't have civil unrest. Nothing would function. Who would make money? How would we be able to make money, right? We need to have a, an economy that is reliable. So we need to have people who feel conflicted by not contributing to the economy, who feel that they are a delinquent if they're not doing something productive and actively in the community. And that makes complete sense to me. But why is it that so many other companies that aren't actually thinking of the citizens as more than just cogs in the machine or simply just employees to help make their bottom line grow, why are they being catered to? Why isn't your country doing more for you? Why are we always doing for our countries? Why are we always the ones getting the shorter than the stick? And it's always the little men, the ones who are built on the idea that if you pick up yourself by your bootstraps, are a hardworking individual, follow the rules, contribute to society, help the economy up by uprooting and starting your own small business, employing your neighbors, running a restaurant, um, you know, following all public health guidelines, doing things ethically, running a morally and unconflicted business that you would be catered to, you would be taken care of. But that just doesn't seem to be the case, right? And then transitioning, a big transition, like a stark transition, 
Actually, before we do a start transition, there's probably one thing I should probably insert right about now. Yep, you heard that sound. It just made complete sense for me to give you a break, give you an opportunity to go and get your beverage hot or cold, soft or hard. You know how we do here. It just makes complete sense for you to get that in. Um, so I hope you've already done so and have had a chance to you know get ready because we're about to jump into the tail end of this edition so we've been flip-flopping a little bit but um i think it kind of makes sense to kind of go back in time now to think about how all this came about right i can speak to my context here and this is probably ubiquitous a lot a lot of places where you want to ensure that you're keeping the economy stimulated by individuals who reside in your country so you make the conditions favorable for that but then something changes, as we mentioned in the Indian, in the India um, example, where we see the deregulation of an industry that has been stabilized and given solid structures to survive for so long. Now they're trying to shatter that for reasons that are likely due to them trying to make more money, completely conflict and go opposed and against all the ideals that you're built on. So I know that it's people who are making these decisions. And I, I completely appreciate that administrations will, will sell you on platforms that seem all self-serving, that seem to be able to benefit the mass majority of people. And then will when they actually assume power, sometimes go against their own words and change things that are just conducive to their own clandestine agendas. I get all that. But aren't these the same people who were, you know, my neighbor, right? Aren't they the same people who are supposed to be taught to love thy neighbor as they love their country? Aren't they the same people who are taught that don't do for you, do for your country? You know, what can you do as a good contributing member of society? How can you help to contribute to the public good? How are all these ideals so staple from a young age? What happens? Where does the anger, where does the hate, where does the complete um, exploitation element come from? Who changes you? And how are countries so easy to do so? I mean, we can look at America. I mean, and their history is deeply seeded with a lot of hate and segregation and otherism, right? And then they try and uplift certain individuals from minority groups or, or from groups that have been traditionally oppressed and they try and show you this idea that we are we're forward thinking now and we love thy neighbor right look we're showing you one of your own who has been able to ascend to great heights by pulling up their bootstraps blah yada 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 and then immediately thereafter you'll hear about a young man who had a air freshener hanging from his rear view and that's all it took for him to get pulled over and then he was his his life was prematurely taken because somebody panicked the person who was supposed to serve and protect the person who literally was thinking about joining a job joining a group of people whose entire you know disposition whose entire vocation was dedicated to protecting and serving thy neighbor one of the greatest ideals of that country and they didn't do that because that's not the neighbors they want to protect so why are you told oh 
you know, love thy neighbor. You know, God bless America. This country is so great. Why would you want to leave? Why would you ever badmouth it? Why would you ever try and riot and destroy it? Well, why wouldn't I? Why, why wouldn't you? Why don't you? Why wouldn't Indian farmers want to block highways and cause other people some kind of challenges to get into work or to make society and cities run well? Because in one instance, you're telling me that if I do right by my neighbor, I will get the same, you know, remuneration, the same type of, of I wouldn't say recompense, but compensated fairly and equally, equally and appropriately. But you're seeing the police officers don't care about their black neighbors. You're seeing that in India, businessmen or individuals who are monitoring stock exchange don't care about farmers. But they'll love the people who are giving them money or they'll love the people who walk like them and talk like them and look like them. And then when you have the civil unrest, they're the villains. The same country that you are busting your ass for is now villainizing you or vilifying you. When there's riots in Minnesota, when there's riots in Montreal, when there's riots anywhere, there's a reason why many of these riots are incited. Once again, hooliganism is definitely a big player in it. And there are people who are completely have nothing else to do but exploit a situation that are taking part. But I think it's fair to assume that one cardinal characteristic of why these riots are incited and one cardinal characteristic of why one person is just fed up is usually rooted in this exact same theme. The same country where I'm told to feel safe in doesn't make me feel safe. And it's not because of my neighbor who's just trying to get one over on me. It's the same powers that I voted for, the same democracy, the same institutions that I've essentially helped uproot are not looking after me. They don't care about me. All they care about is their bottom line. And when their bottom line is no longer in my best interest, I don't care about causing destruction. There's no other way for me to actively go about releasing my frustration or sharing my anger or identifying with a group of people who feel the same as me. There's too much times you feel as if you can't voice your concern. And the only time you typically do voice your concern is when your back is against the wall because now you have no choice. You're always told to trust and believe and have faith and follow through a system. But many of the time, the same systems you've been growing up on, the same anthems you've been singing in your, your classroom from a young age, it just seems like that was all programming. It really didn't mean much. And it's not until you realize how much, it's not until it's too late sometimes before you can come to the, come to the realization that many of these countries do not do for you. They only want you to do for them. And it's only when it's time to have these political powers voted back in or when their their control or their ability to execute their power is at is in jeopardy do they then begin to cater to you and show you how much they love you and show you how much this country can do for you only then do you really get to see this this false sense of love this fake love and and i just i don't i don't get it i don't get it this whole idea of unity and commonality this whole idea of, of allowing your oppressor to think, you know, as long as you do what you're supposed to do, as long as you are um, hardworking, as long as you take the time to, uh, you know, contribute positively and, and, and contribute to, to the society and communities you live in, you'll be taken care of. When we know that's a farce. 
And that's all I've been realizing more and more. It's all a farce. Now, don't get me wrong. Of course, there's consequences for you just doing as you are. Nobody's suggesting you become a nomad and have no political allegiance or don't identify as any as any community. But what, I, what I'm trying to get at is I think we all need to be more global citizens. We need to think about all those who are being oppressed across the globe, not only in our own neighborhoods or not only in our own countries, but be cognizant of what's happening globally. Because although you might have a great life, that's not necessarily the same experience for everybody all across the board. There are some people who are working harder than you, some people who are more need than you are, who are facing much harder hardships, who are facing much greater challenges. And their countries are also telling them that, you know, they have their best interests in heart. Because if your country doesn't, who would? Doesn't. Who would? Like, I mean, who else could you rely on if not your own country? You can't look to your neighbors across the globe or across borders, can you? But now it just seems like you have to. Because you'll have one group of people providing misinformation about some kind of challenge just basically, or not a challenge, some impediment that is negatively impacting one group. But you know from over his border that they're not they're just perpetuating or, or promoting the story from one perspective, not telling you how much it's being impacted, not telling you the ramifications of that impact. It's the same is the same reason why many Canadians are supporting the whole farmers um I wouldn't call it revolt, but their whole mm, movement or 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 lock in we're in lockstep with respect to the unnecessary deregulation that's happening across in, in their homeland and rightfully so and it's just there's so many unnecessary reforms that are happening that should be mitigated with necessary reforms and I, I just feel like without getting into legality of things and law and policy it's just so hard for me to contend that this whole idea of loving your country is even possible because I, I just don't think that it's necessarily uh, an epithet that is, is should be captured by us all. Because a lot of the times your country, eh, you know, when you're doing good and you're following the rules and you're paying your taxes, yeah, there's no reason for us to bother you. But some of the players that are, are you know, being paid directly by the country some of the players and stakeholders that have been empowered by the country they may not hold that same thought they may not care about you because somebody else is paying them more money to change their ideals to change their outlook on what it means to love thy neighbor and i've seen that in the most occasions over the course of this pandemic it's it's happened before it's it's I mean don't get me wrong it's probably it's going to probably happen thereafter because it's human condition and there's not much you can possibly do about it but what you can do is become more aware what you can do is equip yourself with the resources the tools the education necessary so that these things won't blindside you and that's all you can do try and be as prepared as possible and if that's one thing we could all learn from this past year is that, you know, emergencies don't happen when you you can't plan for an emergency. That's no, I take that back. You can't plan for unforeseen events, but you can definitely plan for emergencies. 
you can definitely have tools and, and resources in place. You don't know when the emergency might arise, but you can be ready for it. That's for damn sure. And if all I can say about these most tragic events happening across the globe is that you need to have yourself prepared. You need to be equipped because not only are threats happening from, you know, not only are there external threats, there are internal threats. And I don't mean that in the sense that there are um, there are villains or there are criminals amongst us. Yeah, that goes without saying. But even within that, you have to worry about the same people who are perpetuating that idea that, you know, love your country, love your neighbor. They're the same ones that are undermining your own stability. They're the same ones under, under, um, undermining your, your opportunities. They're the same ones that are making your life unnecessarily hard because they're making decisions in a silo. They're not understanding the decisions they make because that's not their experience. And that's the problem. You still have these same people who only live and operate and function at a certain certain social settings and certain communities, certain walks of life, and they're making all the decisions whilst perpetuating this idea that you should always do everything in the best interest of your country, even though the ones leading your country are not always doing things in your best interest. So it's, it's such a fallacy that we're led to believe that so much of what we do is going on to prevent calamity, going on to prevent hardship, preparing the future generations to have an ability to thrive when it just seems like a lot of the work, a lot of the energy, a lot of the effort we put into things is meant to provide those who are occupying certain spaces with a cushier, more friendly, uh, you know, a greater lifestyle than us. All of our sacrifices, all of our hardships, all of our overtures, everything we put out into the world is just getting sucked up. You're seeing police officers gun down people in the streets. You're seeing farmers have their livelihoods taken from them. You're seeing small businesses shuttered because the government is saying they don't need to be open. Meanwhile, big box stores can stay open and make money. There are smart people out there who can come up with strategies to assure that those individuals who are doing everything in their power to show their countries they love them, to show their countries their allegiance, that they stay afloat. And I think it's, once again, as a crusader, as somebody who's out there trying to make these critical reflections and you know ruminating and spending your time with me, once again, just be prepared, be equipped, ensure you have your toolkit with all the necessary knowledge and resources you need, because a lot of the time you could be doing right you could be doing great by your neighbor, great by your country, and great for your community, but sometimes it's just not enough because there are people out there who just have different feelings. So thank you for you know going down this road with me today, allowing me to ruminate on this topic. And as always, see you same time, same place next week.